The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Very special passage in Scripture. And it begins in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, and he knew her not until he had given birth, till she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Have you ever stopped and considered the roles that the angels played in the birth of Jesus? When you think about it, apart from the angels, there would really have been no understanding. Mary wouldn't have known what was going on. Joseph certainly wouldn't have known. And of course, the shepherds would never have made their trip to Bethlehem. Apart from the angel's message, the incarnation would have remained a mystery to everyone. And the concept of Jesus would have really puzzled Mary. Can you imagine what she would have thought, what was going on? The confusion that she would have realized now, being a woman who, who knew the Jewish law, she may, might have supposed that this could be Isaiah 7.14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. But would she have had to stop and think, Am I the one? Is this for real? Joseph wouldn't have had a clue he probably would have kept thinking that Mary had been unfaithful to him. And of course, the shepherds obviously would never have come to see him. It seems to me that apart from the truths the angels revealed, the Christmas story would be non-existent. And in fact, you and I probably wouldn't be here this morning. So let's just consider for a moment the appearance of these angels. There were five appearances that the angels made, came on the scene, to make people aware of what was happening. First, they appeared to Gabriel, or the the appearance of Gabriel to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist. And then there was the appearance of Gabriel to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. Then the appearance of the angels to Joseph to explain the virgin birth and what he was to name the child. And then the appearance first by one angel and then a multitude of angels to the shepherds around the fields of Bethlehem. And then finally, the appearance of Joseph in a dream to tell him to take his family to Egypt because of the wrath of Herod. 
And just think for a minute about the spiritual condition of Israel, of the Israelites, of the Jews in general at this point. There had been revelations from God in the past through great men such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and the minor prophets. But since Malachi, there had not been raised up one person to speak a word from God in over 400 years. Had God forgotten his people? Had the Lord cast them off? Had everything they'd heard in the past just gone away? And then you turn to the New Testament, and in the very first chapter of the very first book, there is the appearance of the angel to him who is to be the adoptive father of Mary's child. And the angel instructs him to name the child Jesus. The name Jesus is very significant. Because the first thing we see here is that it means Jehovah is salvation. The appearance of the angel to Joseph was to explain why and how Mary was expecting a child so that he would marry her and protect her through this time. But the message also recognized Joseph's authority to name the child a very specific name for a very specific reason. Matthew 1, verses 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And what a name it was. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Jehoshua or Jeshua or Joshua. And it means literally Jehovah is salvation. So the message to Joseph centered primarily on the great work Jesus was to do. Jesus was to be the agent of God's salvation and his work was to save his people from their sins as the angel had explained. You see, apart from Jesus, there is no hope. We're all hopelessly lost in our own sins. And any time you think you're going well and not sinning, just wait. Because it's difficult to get through the day, isn't it? At one thing or another, something happens because of our human nature. But because God so loved us and knew we were totally incapable, he put this plan in motion and they named him Jesus. Now, it's unfortunate that the words Savior and salvation have been so watered down in these days because to many people, they are conveyed only a fraction of what the term really implies. They have been watered down even by Christian theologians. To many, salvation is just getting your life right, becoming good, and letting the good outweigh the bad. Unless our way of talking about salvation makes distinctions here, our interpretations fall woefully short of what the angel really meant by calling him Jesus. Today, there is an increased emphasis on mere human efforts placed on the social aspects of the gospel. Happiness of the Christian is at the center. The successful Christian is what's really important. 
having your life happy and all your needs met becomes the center point of everything we talk about. And we forget the reality that we live unto one who is far greater and that we were created by him for fellowship with him and to glorify him. And so what happens in the gospel today is it becomes self-centered and we create programs and ministries to guide all of us into a happy life. And that really isn't what the gospel is about. The gospel is about salvation, being freed from the corruption of the world, being freed from the corruption of our own sin and set on a course where we are absolutely surrendered to Christ to live in every form, in every situation, whatever he calls us to be. And as we've said a lot in the past, and I'll say it again, when Paul could make the statement that he has learned to be happy with a lot and with little, he has learned that whatever state he is in, to be happy, because with Christ, there's no greater life than bringing glory to him. Today, we find this isn't really the case in our society. And as I said, there is this increasing level of self-centeredness. But that is not what the Bible is talking about when it speaks of salvation or what the angel had in mind when he gave the name Jesus to Joseph for the naming of his child. We're talking about supernatural salvation from our sins, from the penalty, and from its eternal power. And that is what Jesus came to achieve for us. If we could save ourselves, which is what liberal theologians try to tell us, there would have been no need for Jesus to come, let alone die for us. Jesus had to come. His birth was necessary. For that reason, the promise of the angel embodied in the name of Jesus is the greatest message of all time. Because you and I have hope. Through the birth of Christ, we now have hope because we can be free, free to believe and trust him and walk with him. Now, because of this amazing name, the name also means that Jesus is the Savior God himself. The name is Emmanuel or God with us. This is undoubtedly why Matthew followed up in his report of the angel's words to Joseph by referring to Isaiah's prophecy of the virgin birth and the name Emmanuel, which was given at the time. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Now, this is astonishing if you just think about this for a moment. In the Old Testament, it's often said that God was for his people. That is, he was one to guide them through situations, to intervene in history, to keep them on track, to guide them in his directed ways, going before them in battle, leading them through all the ways they needed to go, whether it was through the wilderness or fighting battles. But now... He has come with us. He has taken our form and our nature. It's, it is as the incarnate son of God that Jesus achieved our salvation. 
And it is as the eternal God-man that he now represents us and intercedes us before the Father. So think about all that we have in him. He came that Christmas morning and was born, became a man, took on flesh, grew up, taught us how to live, and then went to the cross and paid the ultimate price. But when he rose from the grave, he defeated death. And because of that, he has promised to all of us who believe and accept that death as payment of our sins, that you and I will never, ever, ever, ever see spiritual death. He may, we may live till he comes for us or we may die physically, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is no death for those who believe. Not only that, he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. So when you and I pray and don't know how to pray or when we're calling out to him, he takes those prayers as the Holy Spirit guides them to heaven and he presents them to the throne perfectly and just so that you and I can be assured of the right answer. That's amazing grace. That is an amazing privilege that you and I enjoy. But not only that, he is always with us. If it's true that the eternal Son of God is with us through the incarnation and continues to be with us, then all experiences of the believer's life are or should be completely transformed. All of them. Nothing should be the same for us when we are saved. First of all, enjoy and sorrow. If God is for us in Christ, then he is with us in all our joys and in all our sorrows. There is not a single event or experience of your life that he's not with you in the midst of it. The difficulty is acknowledging that reality. When life pulls the rug out from under you, can you believe he's with you in the midst of that? Can you believe that he's allowed that to work in and through you to a much greater purpose? Can you rest in the truth that he is guiding you in his perfect way? He's also with us in temptation. Jesus is also God with us when we're tempted. We're not exempt from temptation because we're Christians. Quite the contrary. In fact, sometimes we're tempted more by the evil one to try to destroy our our reputation, our testimony. And then thirdly, he's with us in spiritual warfare. Jesus is with us in our spiritual warfare. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now that is formidable opposition. Left to ourselves, we would be overcome in an instant, but we're not left to ourselves. At this point, God is with us. Jesus is with us. In Ephesians 6, Paul further writes about the armor that God has provided. But in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. You see, when you recognize all that Christ is for you, you you're always one step ahead of the situations in life. You are one step ahead of whatever this world tries to throw at you. 
And you can trust him because he has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You see, the blessed reality is that because it's not your own doing, it's all of him. If it was of our own doing, we would be constantly faced with, I messed up. I've lost it. I've blown it. I got to try harder. I got to be better. I got to do that. No. It is all of Christ. You are not good enough to save yourself. You're certainly not good enough to keep yourself saved. It is all of Christ. And when you come to Christ, the Bible says you are sealed until the day of redemption. And all because of a baby who was born in the manger over 2,000 years ago. You see, Christ is in us the hope of glory. He is the one who saves, but he's the one who sustains He's the one who walks in you and through you and with you and upon you. And he's the one who has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. But you know what? It gets better. He gives us the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus is the logos. He's the word himself. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the logos of the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. You see, when Christ came, he was fully man, but he was also fully God. He was the second person in the Trinity who came and took on the form of man. You see, no man could pay the price for sins because we have all sinned. And if you can think of someone in quicksand going down and needing someone to help them. Somebody couldn't jump in and say, here, let me help you because they're in it too. We're all in it. We need someone outside the pit, someone who has not been touched by sin. And that's why the virgin birth is so critical because the blood that flowed through Jesus was the holy blood, the divine blood. And it was that blood that was shed over 2,000 years ago. 1 John 1 verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He gives us all we need to navigate life. And his word guides us into all truth. When the Holy Spirit was given by the Lord to indwell all believers... The role of the Holy Spirit is to take God's word and give us understanding to guide us. And so you and I need to know the word of God to give the Holy Spirit something to work with, to give him something to guide us and direct us with. But here's something even more astounding. Not only is he God with us, but he's with us to the very end. This will all be true for us until the very end. That is, until Jesus returns for us or we go to be with him in death. Now, at the very end of the Great Commission, in the words that complete Matthew's gospel, there is a sentence that takes us back to the name Emmanuel, which we found at the beginning. Jesus has told the disciples that all authority had been given to him. 
And he was now commanding them to go out and make disciples, to teach them, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, to make disciples. And then he concludes in Matthew 28, verse 20, by saying, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with you. He's with you always. And he will never leave you. Yes, and to the very, very end of the age. We celebrate Christmas, the beginning of the outworking of our salvation. But once secured in him, we are never without him. We think of dying and going to heaven and beginning our eternity with him. But do you realize from the moment you were saved, your eternity began? From that very moment. You and I sit here celebrating Christmas, but do we fully understand the magnitude that being in Christ is an eternal victory? There is no sin that can rob you. There is no failure that can take you out of his hands. He has secured your redemption. Now, at the beginning of the gospel, Jesus is God with us and by the incarnation. Here at the end, he is still God with us and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And not only that, he is with you forever. Consider John 14, verses two and three. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, there you will be also. Even now, your home is under construction. You realize that? This world with all its chaos, with all its insanity, with things that are going on from coast to coast and from the four corners of the world, has nothing to do with our eternal home. Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Christ, but it's a magnificent celebration of our eternal position in Christ. That's why he must increase and we must decrease. That's why you and I have been given the most spectacular provisions to live a life full of grace and truth. Nothing in this world can separate you if you've given him your heart. Why not turn everything back to him? Why not say this very special Christmas Sunday, Lord, from this point forth, I'm all yours. I give you myself. I don't do very good on my own. I struggle to be who I should be. I don't always make the right decisions, so... I'm all yours. Wouldn't that be a spectacular Christmas Sunday? I pray that as, as you leave this morning and continue on with your blessed celebrations and families and whatever you have planned, I pray that you'll always be mindful of the reality that Jesus came for me. He came for me. And I belong to him. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much for this tremendous Christmas day. A wonderful Christmas Sunday, so full of blessing, so full of truth, so full of wonder. We enjoy the, all the expressions of it, the decorations, the presents, the food, the fellowship, the time to be with family. But Lord, may we not forget why all of that exists. May we not forget that you and you alone are at the center of all celebration. I do pray especially this morning, Lord, because I know there are many who aren't enjoying this day, who've been alienated from family, who have been alienated from loved ones, and they need a special blessing. I pray that you would speak to their hearts and draw them to you because in you, we need nothing else. Comfort those folks. And Lord, as we all leave this morning, may we go with a renewed desire to walk with you in a life where you are at the center. Thank you, Lord, for coming for me. Thank you for coming for these dear folks. And thank you that we can rejoice together as your children and go out and love you and live for you. And all God's people said, amen. Have a blessed day.